0: This week on Trek Mary Kill, Jean Luc Beverly will next.
1: You're only as good as those around you. Those days on the Enterprise
0: made me a better man, a better father, a better friend. I thought I could inspire
1: people bring justice to an unjust universe. You have no idea how hard it is to be in this world. Not presume to know what i have and have not sacrificed for this we have to be willing to go through that door to what's next there's a whole universe out there wherever you go we go here in this moment let's do what we have spent our lives learning to be great at as long as you and your crew remain steadfast you are never without hope Trek, Mary, Kill.
0: Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, Kill, the first Star Trek podcast transmitting via the Myriad Codec. This week, we're catching up with the crew of the Enterprise D and their reunion special slash farewell tour. Star Trek Picard season three. Woo! Woo. <laughs> Ow! I think we're both very excited about this. This is our childhood Star Trek. So we're saying goodbye
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> one last time. Uh, you know, growing up, I didn't have a real sense of how the world was. You know, I just like wanted to come home from school and, and when Star Trek was on, I wanted to watch it and enjoy it and have fun and meet the world and the characters. Then as you started to get older, you started to realize the world's kind of tough out there, <laughs> not yeah. just like what's happening in your own life, but like at large. Then you have like the reruns, and the DVDs to kind of fall back on to escape for a little bit. And then we get Star Trek Picard, and we're like, oh, "Wow, our our, uh, our our role model, at least in my case, is around. He's coming back mm-hmm. just when we need him." And what do we get in Star Trek Picard season one? Man, the universe sucks.
1: <laughs> yeah, awful. it's it's not escapism as, at all. It's <laughs> like, wow, there's these people have real problems. Not that Everything. the people on the next generation didn't have you know, problems, but they were 80s and 90s TV problems, not my son won't speak to me and I'm a drug addict and
0: alcoholic (laughs) problems. So we're recording this and the season has not yet completed. Mm -hmm. We're coming out the week after it ended. This episode is dropping. So this is kind of violating my TMK ethos of there being a time element to letting these things lie. But I'm very excited to say farewell to this crew This version of Picard seems less concerned with making sure the universe is portrayed as being abjectly miserable. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's not about how terrible things are. It's like, here's a problem for these people we care about, these characters we care about, the problem that they have to deal with. Star Mm -hmm. Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 1, The Next Generation, written by Terry Metalis, directed by Doug Arniakoski. Premiered on Paramount Plus just recently, February sixteenth, twenty twenty three. The pretty simple setup for this ten episode season is Captain Picard is doing spring. Getting the out. gang
1: back together for yeah. one last grift. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you son of a bitch! I'm in. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Captain, Captain Picard gets a, a message, uh, an encrypted message from Doctor Crusher who needs his help. And uh, says for him to trust no one and to come find her and not bring Starfleet. And in order to do that, he's going to need Will Riker's help. And in order for Will Riker to help him, they're going to have to con their way onto Riker's old command, the USS Titan, commanded by this absolute dickhead, Shaw. Uh And uh, his first officer is a familiar, friendly face, Seven of Nine, who has Uh to go by Annika Hansen lame yeah and then the side story or the b plot in this one is we have raffi Musiker from seasons one and two she's still around and she is working for starfleet security on an undercover mission to find uh about this theft at daystrom station some something's been stolen a weapon she's got to figure out what that's all about now going back to the a story riker and picard are able to get to Beverly Crusher, but she's been injured and she's in a cryostasis and she was put there by her son, but it's not Wesley Crusher. Mm -hmm. (gasps) Who could it be? (laughs) And who's been chasing them? The episode ends with a gigantic evil alien spaceship attacking them. I gave you a lot of background, Kristen, but this guy, Terry Metallus, that's, that's Mm -hmm. the big name. He took over, Running the show in season three, season two he came on and pitched part of that season. I think he pitched the time travel part of it. Was also able to pitch season three. They shot seasons two and seasons three back to back, partly because of COVID, so they were could contain the costs, and also I'm sure because Patrick Stewart is very uh, expensive to insure and is also very very old, and so you gotta get him all, gotta get him on camera while you can. I think,
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> not to be glib. Yeah. And uh so you know, they shot they basically shot and uh wrote and shot two seasons of Star Trek in I think like six to eight months, and that's not totally including yeah. like VFX and all that.
1: That's just pretty quick by today's standards.
0: Absolutely. It is especially
1: very I assume they have a small like a smaller writer's room than say Law and Order or <laughs> whatever. I might be wrong on that.
0: <laughs> I think they're around the like kind of maybe six. Yeah. writers maybe it's it isn't that it's not that large yeah um I think what is you know what helps quote unquote is that they're telling one single story I think this is one thing I found with our TMK format that you know the serialized versions of Star Trek don't necessarily it's a little trickier to do them I would say because it's sort of unfair to hold some of the story criticisms or views that we have uh, you know our judgment the juice uh, when the story is incomplete. But here, you know, Terry Metalis wanted to pitch a send off, do a send off for the Next Generation crew because he felt like uh Nemesis was not Star Trek Nemesis. The movie was not the best send off for them. Mm-hmm. You know, they have all good things on TV, but then they kind of futzed it with Nemesis. So here we go. Star Trek Picard season three and slowly bring them all back together. Kristen, you've kind of now watched all of Picard or most of it. Your feelings about the tonal shift.
1: You know, I don't mind the tonal shift that much considering I think um, Patrick Stewart was on record saying like I really enjoyed kind of the send off that X-Men gave to Wolverine and of course he was in that movie too uh, and his character there and that so that makes sense to me that that's it's more it's heavier and a bit darker in a lot of ways Um, so I don't mind it but I'm very i i'm happy to get back into more of the next generation for the final season
0: and also a lot more on the starship which the first two seasons yeah i need avoided. i need a
1: i need a real you know i i'm on record i need a i need to see the spaceship i'm sorry <laughs> and a real one not just the little little freighter guy i need yeah the real yeah. deal i don't not just the millennium falcon i need the yeah. real thing <laughs>
0: I was fine. I was on board with the idea of like let's see Picard not in space and seeing what those adventures or stories could be. But you know, once it became clear, it's like now just put him in space. Mm-hmm. So it's like they almost waited an extra season longer than they should have to get him back there. But just so Terry Metalis was an assistant. He was a, a post PA on Deep Space Nine, and then he worked his way. He became a, an assistant to the showrunner on star Trek Voyager who at the time was Brandon Braga. So he knows Jerry Ryan, who's in star Trek uh-huh. Picard to seven of nine again. Uh, and then yep. he became a, like a staff writer, a lower level writer on star Trek enterprise. And then he went on and and he has had a career. He did this TV show, 12 monkeys, a television adaptation of the Terry Gilliam movie, uh, which I've never seen. Uh, Bruce. The Willis movie? And Brad Pitt. I've never seen. Yeah. The movie. Um, I probably saw I, that.
1: I saw it like once and I think oh I psych like still a kid. When did it come out? Like mid nineties, mid to late nineties.
0: I think so, yes. And then yeah, the show I, was maybe ten years ago, maybe sick no, maybe I, the show was like six years, I, old, I years I ago. I I missed the
1: show. Yeah. So
0: So he knows what he's doing, he knows how to run a TV show. He also knows Star Trek very well. He's works mm-hmm. basically in the 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 post peak era. Yeah, being no the post PA. Yeah. Yes. He must really <laughs> love it. Yeah. Just to stick with it. Quite a glow up. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) And so this was his love letter and proper send off to everything. This is what he said to Collider about this, about getting the job. It's the greatest thing ever. So I started working on season three while they were shooting season two. They were about halfway through season two when I began working on season three, he means. Jonathan Frakes was in the production offices prepping his episodes in season two that he was directing. I had worked on the first two episodes and then I had to move off and work on season three. I went downstairs because I knew right away I wanted to do Butch and Sundance with Picard and Riker. And I said to him, I'm like, I really want to do a lot of Riker next season. And he is like, Oh, that's cool. He's thinking like a few episodes. And I'm like, no, a lot of Riker. <laughs> he started to when get Riker's nervous. Riker's not on screen. <laughs> Everyone should be asking, where's Riker? <laughs> he started to get nervous and he's like, but I'm not a very good actor. Uh, Which is nuts. What, yeah, that's what he said. And I said, you're an amazing actor and I'm going to put you through the paces. But I really feel like it's going to be the anchor for a lot of it. We were off. It was really fun. So in season one, I very much remember that Frakes it was a big deal. They was even coming back to direct, you know, Patrick Stewart uh-huh. in this launch, and then we find out later on that oh, Frakes and Marina Sirtis, Troy and Riker are going to be in the show in one episode, and Frakes said he hadn't acted in so long that he was terrified. And I remember because by that time that was like episode seven or eight of Picard season one, I was really discouraged (laughs) watching the show, but the episode I, I pretty much, I really enjoyed and Frakes acting was great. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I don't know why he was so worried, but it's like, I guess, well, I can understand
1: that. Like if you, it's kind of like a muscle, I think. And also like memorizing dialogue, especially if you don't do it normally. Yeah. It, that part of your brain kind of goes away um yeah so like anyone who like goes away from like a soap opera for a long time and then they come back like oh shit like how did i ever memorize like you know three episodes a day or whatever worth of dialogue like that's not it's like it's it's definitely like a skill (laughs)
0: What a great setup. Did you unconsciously do that? Because he's married to one of the biggest stars I am, soap I, am well, I am well am I am well I am well aware of who he's married to, yes. He's
1: married to Jeannie Francis, who plays Laura on General Hospital.
0: And he has Although a, I would
1: argue and say she is not the biggest soap opera star, not even close, but she's up there. Okay. She is iconic though.
0: That's what I meant. <laughs> she's yeah, a, iconic. Soap icon. He was on a podcast. I can't remember if it was the Dak Shepard one or if it was the official Star Trek one or something. Um, no, it was the. I think it was the Michael Rosenbaum podcast, and I listened to it just because. Oh, Jonathan Frakes was on, and he specifically mentioned G- his wife Jeannie that she could just read, like she's been doing this uh-huh. for so long and memorizing, and how quickly she can memorize. And he's like, ah, ah. <laughs> oh like, yeah, it's like terrible. it's one take.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. on, especially these days on General <laughs> Hospital.
0: Yeah, but so he was nervous, definitely about that part of it, and and doing the performance. We we're not going to go ahead if you're listening and you haven't finished the season or you're just starting. You're using us like as a companion piece. I don't know. You heard good things the last few months. People online being really obnoxious about Star Trek Picard. Uh, oh yeah, no. <laughs> and because even I was getting annoyed by some of the stuff, and I'm like, I'm going to enjoy it. Leave me alone. But. Uh, Frakes in this season is fantastic, but we're not having to tip anything because we're going to talk about the first episode and he's great. Yeah. We're and also
1: talking. I am watching all these for the first time for this podcast. So I can't even tip people <laughs> off. You have no
0: ability. Even
1: if I wanted great. to, I couldn't. So yeah, you're safe.
0: <laughs> I think what helps is that um, none of these actors, like a lot of the characters in the next generation really at some point stopped being, they were never really fully formed characters. They were kind of like two ideas and then the actor's charisma or persona sort of filled in the rest. So Frank's task really was like Patrick Stewart, uh, Gates McFadden, all their job really is to like, can you be yourself on screen and be comfortable on camera? And then you will become Dr. Crusher. You will become Will Riker. And uh, yeah, they do it. They they nail it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, after all these backup thought background thoughts, I mean, let's let's just pivot into this specific thoughts about this episode Kristen cuz I think we're fucking excited to be talking about this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, you wrote this
1: down in our notes and I actually felt this I watched the episode before I read the oh, rundown good. for this. <laughs> and I I too, I actually I just made I made an actual note. I wrote it down that it opens with the uh, on the screen, saying, in the twenty fifth century, <laughs> And I was like, thank God, I don't like I don't want to deal with this centuries before business, centuries after business. i let's just get into it,
0: yeah. Uh, this this season is going to be Easter eggs, callbacks, fan service, homage, delivery system, whatever you want to call it. Most fans love that kind of thing. I'm personally a little more 50-50 on it. That said, I, I fucking loved it <laughs> when yeah. that when that came on. I'm like, I'm in. All right, let's go. <laughs> yeah. There were certainly visual touches, musical touches. I mean, the music, uh-huh. my God, it's just basically uh, hardcore Star Trek 3, uh, first contact, that theme gets used, brought back, uh, a lot of iconography, and also just like... <laughs> a lot of references. I mean, the first time we see Picard, he's looking at a painting of the painting of the enterprise D that was mm-hmm. in his ready room all those years. And it was just nice to see it just to acknowledge that it happened, which starts, which Picard by the way, <laughs> looks
1: it looked back then it still looks now like a fan art that you would buy at a convention, like a fake Thomas Kincaid version
0: of the enterprise D I don't think anyone's ever really said. I'm that am not that saying it's great, but uh, yeah. I, I no, agree. I'm not saying it's bad or good. I'm just saying like that is the style.
1: If you if you are unable to imagine it,
0: I mean, let think. Let's think about the decor of Picard's ready room. Anyway, that couch, just the the, <laughs> the walls, the weird bends, the way it bends around at the. It's like oddly shaped. Um, mm-hmm. The fish Livingston. The fish, you know. <laughs> The, the little model, of the stargazer, I'm like, eh, it's not doing very much there. The book in the case, Picard's yeah. ready room. We remember it, but it's like, yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> it's just kind of yeah. there. But it, it was still nice to see the painting. I, I do wonder if it actually would have had that much prominence uh, after all this time in his chateau. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we get the chateau in this first episode because that's the, they have to knock that standing set out and clear the way for all the other <laughs> sets. So this is where we get it here. Um, Terry Metall said of this episode, these are all of our stray thoughts that don't fit into any of the grades. So his the one note I have, he's been doing uh, Collider after episode interviews where you get some mm-hmm. specific questions. He said, my favorite sequence is when they take the Titan out on space dock. It's a sequence that I've always wanted to do and write. And that sense of wonder of leaving port with the music up, the nautical sense of tradition, I love. So I'm really grateful I got to do it. It was wonderful seeing it on the big screen at the Chinese theater for the premiere. It was just oh incredible. yeah, I bet. Yeah. Do you have any other stray thoughts? No. Okay. <laughs> so before we start the great scenes, we're gonna get into the grades. I just want to get out of the way right now that for me personally, Kristen, I don't know about you, that I, I will not be necessarily looking at all these scenes as. "Quote unquote, objectively great," which I, in the past, have deluded myself into thinking I'm actually doing, thinking like okay. I could use <laughs> evidence to support my claim, but in this case, I'm I'm just gonna make it clear, like I just enjoy seeing so many of these characters again. That it, I'm just acknowledging my objectivity is such as it is 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 out the window. So
1: yeah, I I don't you know I kind of feel like if you have come to this podcast hoping for a completely unbiased view of Star Trek, um.
0: I think you have to keep looking. I think they're coming here to hear me wrestle with feelings versus objectivity. Mm. (laughs) And you saying none of that matters. This is what we should just talk about. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I I don't know why people
1: come here, but maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe someone leave us a comment. (laughs) Why do you like it? Or why do you hate it?
0: I'm neurotic about it. And you're just like, cool yeah. about it. That's, that's it. <laughs> uh, yeah. My, one of my,
1: one of my problems in life in general is I'm rarely passionate about literally anything. Um, I lack passion in all things. And um, so I, but I will say
0: I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> all right. What well, we'll lead it off. What, what excited you the most <laughs> for the great scenes? Yeah. Well, uh, the opening
1: gunfight with Beverly crusher was awesome. I enjoyed that. Nice. Uh, we even had the fog going, like, the, <laughs> you know, the a gas pipe burst and all that stuff. Really enjoyed that because she just, like, kicked ass, and it was amazing.
0: Did you like her having the shotgun phaser?
1: Yeah. Maybe in another show it would have been like, that's, uh, I don't care for that. But here it's fine. And, I mean, I we've already touched on this, but I like seeing the Titan and in the dock and trying and and it going out into space like just as you were talking about um that's really cool i like those scenes when we're introduced to the ship we're introduced a bit to the crew it's just cool like any ship either coming in or leaving space dock is is cool to me and i I got to see the spaceship that's my thing i I know it's a starship (laughs) i call it a spaceship because that's what it is (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Just all spacecraft.
0: I mean, I liked all that. I mean, there's really very little in the episode that I didn't like, but what I thought was actually a great scene was was the scene where uh, Laris and Picard are going over Beverly's message that Picard mm-hmm. has decoded or has, you know, decrypted to listen to. And Laris is kind of walking him through uh, what she's seeing here and basically compelling him like, yeah, you have to go do this. And then also you can see that she's realizing like, oh, and our relationship's over. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> when we did, we've only done a TMK on one episode of Picard. Uh, but L- Laris is in that episode and and she popped. We liked her in that one. Mm-hmm. And she becomes a love interest uh, for Picard in season two. And so it's nice. Orla Brady is a nice presence to have, a nice person to have. But guess what? They didn't have money in the budget for her. so
1: <laughs> And it wouldn't make sense for her being in space.
0: Yeah, so so she's off doing Romulan security somewhere else and and, and they're gonna go the separate ways. But I like the scene. I thought it was a nice quiet sit-down scene of two people talking. It was a good mood. She they have like a good energy together mm-hmm. and uh and she's a very present actor and it worked. So I like that. Yeah. Um I mean we probably both agree on this. Picard and Riker in 10 forward bar. Mm-hmm. That whole scene from Riker being at the bar, you know, seeing that no one wants to buy the enterprise D models <laughs> to uh, him talking about how they have to give a speech at frontier day, which is going to be a dangling plot thread. Uh, but that there are a couple of old farts giving speeches. Mm-hmm. And then when they finally sit down to go over her message, we get this interesting little fan fiction story of, Hey, Hey, when you were Locutus, the Borg gave us a, a virus that futs with our navigational system, and we had to work around it. They added a number three to all of our coordinates. So that's what she's referring to when she says Helbert in this message. And so by doing that, Riker's able to decrypt the message. Their conversation with each other, it's like, oh, Picard and Riker are talking. And as much as Patrick Stewart getting older has taken him farther away from the Picard that we remember, Frakes being, he's older, clearly, but he still very much reminds you of the writer oh, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so it was, it was really great. Interesting uh, strategy by Beverly Crusher to send Jean-Luc Picard uh, an encryption with a cipher that he couldn't have possibly known since he was Locutus. Yeah.
1: I also enjoyed. don't trust anyone. Don't tell Starfleet. I'm going to go directly to William Riker, who's still part of Starfleet. And get his read who, on this.
0: Who Picard says, "Look at you, the elder statesman of Starfleet." Yeah, <laughs> I can't think of anyone more Starfleet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I liked then when Picard reiterates that in the moment where he's like, "Remember, she says no Starfleet." I liked Riker saying, "I think I have a workaround for that." Where it's like, "I we're hear gonna you go Beverly Starfleet." <laughs> <laughs> he's like, we're going to triple down on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just thought it was great to see them back together. And yeah, there was, there's no standoffishness, you know, how like in a lot of these revivals, characters, you haven't seen each other for a while. It's like there's, and they did this in Picard. Like there's a standoffishness between them because it's been so long since they've seen each other and, and it's not here. And I do have a little comment about them at the bar. I did actually see the season
1: two episode where they brought back. Willie will be Goldberg. Yeah. And I seem to recall at the time that she started on the next generation was that she just really liked the show and was like, just write me in yep. summer Wasn't that it's, okay. Cause she was like a bit, well, she's still a big star, but she was a big star at the time. And was just like, I like, I love this show. Just write me in in like a few episodes or whatever.
0: As the bartender. <laughs> they did a whole episode of the view where she was dressed as Guinan and was interviewing them ahead of Star Trek Picard season three. That's awesome. too. But really, she reached out, and I can't now. I can't remember who she reached out through, and that actor related it to the production staff, and they're like, "Yeah, whatever." They they just didn't believe that it was true, and then she finally had to like call them. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, well, I thought she
1: was at least at some point like Gene Roddenberry, Roddenberry was still around. Yes, I don't no, know no, if that's no, no. who, still she, that. who yeah. she reached out to, but yeah, like oh yeah, we got. Whoopi Goldberg's agent on the line, like, oh,
0: Oh, Whoopi Goldberg,
1: (laughs) (laughs) like fresh off
0: an Oscar win, like just like a few years before or a couple years before. Yeah. Uh, Now they're on the Titan, and I think you'd agree the entire sequence of from the moment, not the moment Seven greets them, but when she brings them onto the bridge, and then the whole leaving space dock sequence. Or before that, we meet Jordy's daughter, Sydney. Uh-huh. Yeah, I put that down weird. as well. <laughs> uh, but the whole sequence of launching the Titan, um, the Sydney LaForge beat, fantastic. Uh-huh. Made, me, made me smile. Is there something wrong with that ensign over there? <laughs> I'm sure is intentional, or I don't know how intentional or unintentional it was, but very much a callback to generations. It was kind of smashing two things from the opening bit with Kirk, Scotty, and Chekhov. Launching the Enterprise B with Mm -hmm. uh, Ensign or with Sulu's daughter being the pilot Mm -hmm. in that case. And (laughs) so there's that idea. But then the other one was all the drama that's happening at the beginning of generations with the Enterprise B when they're trying to rescue these refugees. Kirk is getting anxious and he's like lifting out of his chair and Scotty leans over to him and says, is there something wrong with your chair captain? And he like whispers it to him, just like how Picard whispers to seven, is there something wrong with that ensign? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's a weird, it's an, maybe it's an unintentional homage to yeah. Star Trek generations, but it was funny nonetheless. And Sydney, LaForge, we're going to get to know her more. And then I love, did you love Riker embarrassing her? <laughs> um, Yeah, a, a
1: little. I mean, I love the whole thing.
0: Like, just let's just razz like, the crew. Yeah. He's like, crash, crash La forge because <laughs> you crashed your shuttle yeah. twice. <laughs> that's great.
1: Yeah, I also put down um, Picard and Riker in the um, bunk beds.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great scene. So this comes after what was my next scene, which is they meet Captain Shaw. The, the and biggest and space I don't know if we mentioned it, but met. they're
1: on the ship because they're they've pretended that they're doing some serious inspection.
0: Like a surprise. Yeah, inspection. like surprise. Oh, we a, sent the tool
1: yeah. old dudes to yeah. make sure she's running OK.
0: And in this ruse that they're trying to uh, pull off, they're trying to convince Shaw that Titan needs to change course and go to where Beverly is. Even though it's just outside of Federation space, it's, it's all who cares. <laughs> so, so, but you know, Shaw's not here having any of that. He's like, I don't care who you are. We're going. where We're supposed to go because Admiral Picard, you're retired, and Captain Riker, you don't have a ship. So I'm following the orders given to me by real officers who have actual jobs.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: he's not impressed by them, and he gives them the business. Yeah, this role, I guess, was written for the actor Todd Stashwick, and obviously, every word was crafted with him saying it in mind because it's definitely exuding a certain energy. But yeah, the bunk bed scene. Do you want to see anything more about that?
1: No, it's just funny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so you got two old men in bed in bunk beds and Picard saying this is humiliating and Riker's just laying there. But I really like that scene, not just because it was funny, but because kind of like that scene with Laris, Laris, it's just like a slowed down, momentarily quiet scene of regret because it's where they're talking about I haven't seen Beverly in so long after all this time and I don't know what happened. And it's, it's a good, he's in like a thematic place where he is in those bunk beds. And then the emotional part of the weight of this person he had such a connection with, uh-huh.
1: um,
0: that it's like, there's a sadness to it in in, in multiple ways. He, like obviously his position, he's no longer respected. And now this, this concern, um, it was kind of it's a, it was kind of a scene I thought we'd get more of in the other two seasons, mm-hmm. uh, so it was nice to see it show up here. Uh, any other scenes? I have two more.
1: No, I just started watching very intently after that, so
0: no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so after that scene, Seven confronts Picard and Riker about what's really going on. And I really like that scene. It it gave Seven a nice moment. That's just how she kind of talked about, you know, you and Janeway convinced me to join Starfleet, (laughs) and now I gotta put up with assholes like Shaw. And you know, it's like, how do I fight my instincts when I all I'm supposed to do is follow orders? But also, there's a it's a good scene of confrontation because Riker doesn't know her, Mm -hmm. so she's talking to Picard like, you know, what's up? What's your what are you, you know, what are you doing, old man? And Riker's like, don't talk to him that way. And she's like, he's my friend. I can talk to him however I want. Yeah. Uh, it, was, it was a nice beat. But this is the part that made me laugh. It's not like a hard laugh, but it's, for me, it was like a top five laugh in the episode. So she's like, what's going on? And Picard says, I received a message from Dr. Beverly Crusher, who was the chief medical officer of the Enterprise. She goes, I know who she is. <laughs> yeah. So I just love the way she's like. I've seen Star Trek. I know. I know, I know is. she is. <laughs> yeah, seven I'm nine doing the homework. That's that's right. <laughs> uh, which fits perfectly with her character. Yeah, of course she does. So then this is my last great scene of the episode. Raffi figures out who the red lady is. So she's investigating this stolen weapon, and then she finds out through. You know, pretending to be a junkie, she finds out from this Orion information trader that there's something involved with the Red Lady, and he doesn't know anything about that. She figures out what the Red Lady is. It's a statue of Rachel Garrett, like a, a ceremony for this new statue. Rachel Garrett was the captain of the Enterprise C, if you didn't know from yesterday's Enterprise. And so she rushes to go to the ceremony and say, like, warn everybody, like, there's about to be a, a terrorist attack. And she doesn't get there in time and she's there to witness the whole event happen. And that's where we get the reveal of this portal weapon. And it was a creepy scene, like her trying to get in touch with them, like her uh-huh. panic, and then just the static, the you know, the the jammed signal. And then the the visual effects were fantastic. Uh, of the portal and you hear all the screams of the people mm-hmm. dying There's like cars <laughs> driving was, on the freeway yeah yeah um and like the building is uh sucked into a portal and then dropped in another area of the city uh so i just thought it was a, a, like a visual well done thing a good moment of tension and one of the few times and it like paid off finally after like two seasons Rafi's paranoia really coming like her taking action immediately. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In the previous two seasons, she's like, something's going on here. We have like six episodes of her yeah. being like, why won't anyone listen to me? And like this, she's able to do that. She's working with the handler who's empowering her. I feel like we should just say who the handler is, but I'll, I guess we'll wait. So
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, it seems is.
0: pretty obvious. Oh, you don't. Okay, great.
1: Best Trek tropes. I put down the night, the space nightclub slash bar trope. I love it when... <laughs> You're at like we have two bar scenes, basically, and I always love a bar scene and Star Trek. Um it's just fun for me. Like the weird colors of the drinks, just all the weird stuff. Like there was in Rafi's scene, there's a guy eating weird space sushi. I enjoy that stuff. Um some people might but might not, but I enjoy a good Star Trek bar scene.
0: The Rafi part of it is taking place on a planet called Metallus Prime, which is named after Terry Metalis, the showrunner, but it was named, that's a planet from Enterprise. The, ah. the senior writers on Star Trek Enterprise were razzing him and they said, let's name this terrible planet of criminals and creeps after the junior writer here, Metallus Prime. So that's, that's what that's referenced to. I like that too. I just thought so many things in sci-fi have ripped off Blade Runner now so that whenever uh-huh. I see it, I'm just like, no, don't do that. And that's what at least the Metallus prime portion of it was. But yeah, whenever you see it in Star Trek, it's always kind of funny, but also, you know, cool at the same time. Any other ones?
1: Yeah. So Beverly Crusher having a secret son, which plays into the trope of Beverly just getting laid out here by secret people, (laughs) our ghosts.
0: Uh, We know for sure it's not Picard, though. They, they didn't dispel the possibility that it could be an anaphasic life form. That's still on the no, table.
1: It could be a ghost baby. <laughs> and, I, I mean, this isn't so much a tr- specific Star Trek trope, but just like the captain of the Titan being a total prick. That's just fun. <laughs> like, not everything needs to be super easy. Of like, oh yes, of course. I'll do whatever yeah, you say. Well-
0: Let me maybe I can tweak that a little bit. So, yeah, you're saying it's not necessarily a trope, but there is a trope in play in that dynamic, the evil admiral trope. Mm, Yeah, yeah, this time it's reversed where Picard is the evil admiral. (laughs) So, you know, if this show was Star Trek Titan and Shaw is basically like, oh, I've got these old famous admiral and his his trusty sidekick coming aboard. And then they come in and they say, like, change direction and do all this stuff. He's like, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm putting my foot down. So yeah, that that's what I have in there is best Trek trope is the evil the inversion of the evil admiral trope, mm-hmm. which I think some Star Trek fans call bad morals. Bad I think morals. That's the online yeah, the mm. online term. I have two more. Do you have any? No, go any ahead. More space dock is that a trope? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I Absolutely. mean, it's always great to see it. <laughs> yeah, space dock comes up a lot. And then blue colored space food. Yeah, just great. Shaw's, I, I assume that's the protein part of his meal. He's, you know, he's basically eating it like it's a steak. Mm. But it's basically food, like a spongy thing dyed blue. It looked interesting. Ugh, but that tastes so bad on set. <laughs> ugh.
1: They give you like a bucket to spit into, but ugh.
0: We've talked about uh, cup acting, mm-hmm. food acting we haven't yeah. really gotten into. Food acting is a thing, as Kristen mentioned, the bucket. And a lot of times you will try to intentionally like not eat like not put the food in your mouth and all that stuff and try to shoot around it Star Trek 6 very famously Nicholas Meyer bet William Shatner that he couldn't eat on every take and Shatner basically because it was it was easy money for Shatner he was like fine I'll take that deal and he basically ate on every take for his cl- oh the shots where he's eating yeah but it's a good way to make yourself sick
1: <laughs> oof Apparently Chris Pratt on um, Parks and Rec would just eat everything that they, like, he would never spit anything out. So, like, by the end of the day, he'd have, like, 15 hamburgers or whatever. (laughs) I think Aziz Ansari spilled the the beans on that one. This is before he got, like, super jacked for Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Worst Trek tropes. I put down Rafi the drug dealer, even though like she's faking it. I'm getting kind of tired of it. It's like almost a caricature of like an addict at this point.
0: She's that character. Yes. She has always been that. Yes. A caricature. And sure. it's just
1: getting really sad. And like, you don't know she's faking it at first. And I'm just like, Oh God, we, here we go again. Like they haven't cured addiction in the future. Apparently just, just sad on his own. But yeah, for this particular show, I mean, it's not something we really see in any of the other shows, really, that I can think of, but it's it's getting a little old for this one. Yeah. I also put that the the plan that Riker and Picard have is like a little half baked. (laughs) It's not a very great plan.
0: Yeah, I mean, they're at space dock at Earth. It seems like. Very easy to confirm that Picard and Riker are supposed to be there. Yeah.
1: A very quick, <laughs> let me just call down. Oh, the inspectors are tied up in a broom closet, the real ones. <laughs> 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 like, I'm going to suspend disbelief just to get us, get the show on the road here, but it's not a great plan. Yeah. Well, I mean, they and Star Trek usually they talk about the plan a little bit more.
0: Well, they hang a lantern on it by Picard being super not enthused about it. Yeah, but yeah, it's it's just a little half-baked, that's all. And it does kind of play into Riker's the character that they're setting up, which, you know, in that bar scene, Picard apologizes like, "Thank you for coming to meet with me. I'm sorry to take you away from your family." And Riker says, Setting up his emotional arc, he's like, actually, I think Deanna and Kestra would appreciate some time away from me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, kind of like the goofy middle aged man trying to figure things out. Middle aged. A, no one lives to be 140. It won Star Trek
1: times. <laughs> oh, I guess that's true.
0: Yeah, that's what I was going off of. See? Yeah, mm. up <laughs> but, you know, he's, you know, he's. Going he's got kooky, half-cocked ideas because he's he's trying to I mean it's a miracle of
1: science in. that two 70-year-olds have a what 10, 11 year old daughter.
0: <laughs> that's true. That's it's true just too. it's wild. Well, I can't I am fuzzy on Kestra's age. She definitely in season one, she definitely does come off like 10 or 12. That's that's for sure.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I have nebula's disrupting ship functions at random times mm-hmm. in in non specific ways, but just to inflate the drama, so sometimes they can scan and detect certain things and not others it it dampens their power in some ways and not others, and it's just sometimes it's pretty annoying and My feeling on writing around all that is don't emphasize it-
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know what I mean like the way of writing of writing those things better is just not write them. It's like yeah, <laughs> like who cares half half the time. That's that's the one that really stood out to me for a Trek joke, but I liked yours. Thanks. <laughs> uh, most of its time quality.
1: Um, I didn't have a lot here, except, I mean, the obvious stuff that we always talk about—the lighting and also the dialogue, because they just talk about how old they are now.
0: Is that of its time? Because the, I mean, Lethal Weapon was doing that.
1: No, I'm but like, for this it's, shit yeah.
0: I mean, it's just
1: for this particular series i think it is like you wouldn't see it in another series i think
0: all right yeah i mean i'm not saying you're wrong this is not yeah. the place to but say I... whether you're right or wrong yes.
1: <laughs> but i couldn't really come up with any other than that like other than just like the hair the this or that just you know the stuff that we usually talk
0: about like there was well, nothing definitely... that i was like
1: oh wow that's so like buzzfeed or whatever
0: well, definitely, like you said, it's so dark. the The lighting on this yeah. show just shot so dark. To I, I'm sure there are reasons because I've seen behind the scenes photos and like the station, you know, it's they have a bright setting, but you know why yeah. they chose to do that. It might help, like make them look slightly younger. Well,
1: it's a couple things. It's like if your sets don't look super great, you can light them in a way that makes it look a little re- more real.
0: I think that's it because this season by all accounts had no money and Uh that's relatively speaking. I think Star Trek Picard season one had an episode budget of one of 14 or 15 million. And some of that was paid for by the California tax credit. And then if you imagine then the neck, because they shot seasons two and three back to back and season two, like season one, from all the stuff I've heard is they were just lighting piles of money on fire. And so if you imagine there was like very little left for three, so it had to come in under a very specific number. Um, you can, it, that makes the most sense to me. All right. That explains it. I do I have, I have a couple though. Okay. The warp, tra- the warp travel in star Trek. Now, if you've watched star Trek for many years, it gets frustrating. Obviously in star Trek history, warp travel times have fluctuated. And our sense of how long it takes to get anywhere is whatever. But in now in Picard, it's it's almost like Star Wars. It's instantaneous. Yeah. (laughs) You're not traveling for very long to get anywhere. Yeah. Quick. How are you getting to the edge of Federation space in like five hours?
1: Yeah. It's like, unfortunately, just what they same thing they're doing in the newer Star Wars stuff. Like you're there fucking immediately. (laughs)
0: Yeah. So in when they arrive on Titan, there's a an, an announcement that says prepare to launch at 19.30 hours. So 7.30 p.m. Then they have dinner with uh, Shaw and then they are in the bunk bed. And then Seven of Nine calls them to the bridge and says we're at the writing system um, and you can leave. I don't know. That suggests to me like five or six hours.
1: Yeah. So it and, uh, and also... <laughs> Now, it just makes Shaw look like an even bigger asshole if that's all it was going to take. Like, oh, that's out of our way. (laughs) Not really. It's like asking someone to stop at the 7 Eleven that's on the way to the freeway or something. Like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't go 10 yards out of our way.
0: Yeah. And then I just touched on this the hanging a lantern term. Like, that's just a writerly thing where if there is an issue, but you don't want people to think about it. You, you put a, you hang a lantern on it. You address it in the moment. Picard saying this plan is kind of sweaty, kind of stinky is one hanging the lantern. But the other one that I thought and here is, I haven't spoken to Beverly in 20 years. And Riker saying, why did she cut us out and stop talking to us? And to me, the, the of its time quality is not the hanging a lantern on that. It's that, When you do these revivals or you have to tell like a mystery box kind of storytelling serialized, especially if it's a character that people know, you have to like contrive of a way for someone in the chain or all the characters to behave how you wouldn't expect them to or how they wouldn't for reasons that will either be revealed later or just plainly to just jumpstart the story. Mm -hmm. And so they're hanging a lantern on the idea of like, why would Beverly Crusher, like the most warm and human, and like friendly of all the like she was friends with all of them. You know what I mean? Uh Uh, And cared about them and she, and they cared about her. Why would she cut them off? Why would they not know what's going on with her? And, and so they're just addressing that head on by hanging a lantern on it. So the most of its time is what they're shining a light on is the, is the idea that Beverly crusher of all people has gone dark on them. Now it's time for the line must be drawn here. Great lines. I have several. (laughs) I have so many I can't even say several. I have to say I only written down
1: one exchange, but I I agree there was several. I just was really tired when I watched this. So when it's pronounced Laris. Sure, Laris, talk, Laris, whatever. Laris,
0: whatever. Yeah.
1: It's talking to Jean-Luc and she's talk they're talking about Beverly and she says, "You even tried to be lovers." And Picard says, "Tried being the operative word." I'm like, "Ugh, Jean-Luc, what you doing?" Still, still, this poor woman, like, practically begged you to fuck her and you still haven't done it. Oh, my God. And
0: now she's not interested. Yeah, she moved on. Yeah, that ship has sailed. When Riker asks the bartender, why do you have so many Enterprise D's, like, models? (laughs) Oh, I should have said that in the, of its time. Those models belong, I think, to this company called... Eagle Moss, maybe it's like a collectibles company. And for a very long time, up until the pandemic started, they were licensing. They were making models of every ship you could think of in Star Trek. Uh, and so I think those were some of their oh, models. That's cool. that they used. There we go. Um, and so he goes, why do you have so many enterprise D's? And she goes, Oh, the fat ones. No one wants those fat ones. (laughs) And and then Riker says, this is the line I have. You hear that, Jean-Luc? No one wants the fat ones. That's galaxy class to you, young lady. (laughs) And then I actually did have the line where after Picard apologizes for taking him away from the family. It's a great line because it's it's revealing a level of depth we haven't seen from Will Riker in a long time. He says, actually, Deanna and Kestra will appreciate the time away from me. How can I help? And it's like a perfectly sets up what he's about in this season of the show. What Mm -hmm. like, he's like, I got this problem, but I don't want to deal with it. How can I help you? Yeah. I thought that was great. When they're launching the ship, when the Titans leaving space dock, after they clear the doors, Hansen says, let's go to warp nine. And Picard leaves, leans over and says, aren't you supposed to let engineering know about that? And she says, actually, we don't do that anymore on the new ships. Mm-hmm. And, Riker, and then Picard says, oh, okay. And then he goes, you're going to be a captain before you know it, Commander Hansen. And Riker says, excellent recovery, Admiral. <laughs> and Picard goes, shut it, Will. <laughs> it's more the excellent recovery, Admiral. Mm-hmm. I guess I can't. No, I got to This is one of the great lines because knowing who's saying it it's it's a spoiler but i won't say it raffi is asking her handler what like she needs to do something she's got this information about the red lady and she basically convinces her handler to like help her out and the handler says you are a warrior and it's like yes as soon as i saw that line on the <laughs> screen because it's all text i got so excited i'm like i know who's saying that i know who it is <laughs> and it was maybe very happy When they're in the bunk beds, the card says, this is humiliating. And then Riker says, it reminds me of my cadet days. Only. I don't remember having to get up to pee this much. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Another old joke.
1: (laughs) Yeah. My prostate just shot.
0: pieces. (laughs) Just completely out of phase with my body. Yes. Uh, After Seven pulls Picard and Riker into the observation lounge, she goes, you're going to tell me what the hell you two are really doing here. I'm about to throw both of you out in an airlock and never look back. And Riker says, watch it, Commander. That's how you talk to an admiral. And she says, it's how I talk to a friend. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was great. And... Then this exchange between Seven and Picard when she's like, it's hard being an officer. She goes, how can I inspire when all I do is take shit from someone like Shaw? How am I supposed to just ignore my gut, ignore my instincts just to follow orders? And then Picard gives her a corny line, but I liked it anyway. He says, if you find that answer, will you let me know? Because I never did. (laughs) So I just, you know, Picard being, you know, Picard being a a shoulder, uh, sympathetic. That was nice to see. And then when they board Beverly's ship, they get their phasers ready and uh, Picard's hand like seizes up because of adrenaline. And Riker kind of groans when he gets his phaser and he goes, terrific. Your hands are stiff. My knees are killing me. As long as we don't have to move or shoot, we should be fine. The Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. I think this is going to be a surprise to you. I don't know. Todd Stashwick as Captain Shaw. Oh, really? Wow he establishes a character and a point of view right away, very strongly. It's an energy that we've never seen Picard and Riker have to face before and how they, he has them on their heels. Um, And the good thing about this season of the show is they don't totally fold our characters. Like they still push back at him, but he's such a strong willed person or he has such contempt for them that it really shined through. I'm only saying that because it's like, I mean, I'm here interested to hear. That's who my nominee is. Who's yours?
1: Um, my nominee is Jonathan Frakes. Um, because I yes. just love him.
0: <laughs> I think that's fair. Listen, I am biased because of what happens later. So it's but like, yeah, like
1: we can we can <laughs> yeah. give it to Shaw this time, and
0: I'm sure we'll have another opportunity. That was my thinking, but okay. I, you know what. At the very least, you know, we've got to mention Jonathan Frakes storms out of the gates. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, I thought every, I mean, I really did think everyone was good, but I mean, let's still move into the next one. The Shatner.
1: I actually don't have anything for this and I'm willing to hear any suggestion like nothing stood out to me on the first viewing. I was being like, woof.
0: Yeah. And and I think we have you and I are very much like. That's kind of more what the Shatner is, but my guest co-hosts have sometimes given me another perspective, but you've already kind of touched on why this person could be the nominee. And I have to say it's Michelle Hurd, but I'm kind of saying it in a positive way. She really goes for it as Rafi playing the addiction part, Uh playing the like stressed out person. And I think she I really like Michelle heard the actor. I totally see the screen presence. I see what she can do. I really don't think that that character has been well-written through two seasons of Picard. No. So she's been kind of dealt a bad hand. And I think this season is trying to not correct that necessarily, but sort of use what was there as in a, maybe a more positive way or, or more instructive way. And I really think you could never say she doesn't go for it. She's like in every episode she's in, she's always giving it her all. Yeah. And I think here it actually works pretty like the story they put her in. It actually works, but she's definitely going for it. She has to play an extreme junkie and then she has to play a really like a, like a junior spy agent who's being told no when she's like we're so close on this don't shut me down now you know what i mean like she's really and then when she's warning uh the the recruiting station that there's an imminent attack and then when she's watching the explosion her face her reaction and that's just an actor sitting in a dark room with yeah no one there (laughs) like having to like play off of (gasps) nothing because that's not done yet that vfx so i don't know i Really feel like so Michelle Heard, who's definitely listening to this for sure. Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's a that's a it's a performance William Shatner would be like pr- proud of. It's like you are you are number one on the day. It all was resting on your shoulders, and you went for it. And I think she delivered in this case.
1: Yeah, like we, the sh- the Shatner doesn't have to be something negative. Yeah, although we often do we
0: that. Yes, yes, and I also. Th- Because addiction is part of her story, I'm kind of sympathetic to it. And, you know, I want to see it done in a way that's. Yeah, I'm with you. Why are we still doing addiction storylines? But at the same time, there's kind of like knowing that that's a part of her character and she's having to play it. It's dangerous for her to do that, right? Mm -hmm. Because she could relapse. Yeah. So I'm interested to see what they do with it. What part of this are they teaching at Starfleet Academy? Maybe to double check. Who the inspectors
1: are supposed to be on your ship?
0: Yeah, if you if the surprise inspection still gives you a buffer of like fifteen twenty minutes before you have to launch, yeah, why don't you uh, call on down to the space dock there? Yeah, and say ask for some hey, identification. <laughs> yeah. These two jabronis like, just uh, came on board. Yeah, they
1: sent <laughs> these two guys and. And uh, they they didn't even have clipboards or anything, nothing. Like what? Uh, how, what's the inspection? <laughs> like, to uh, make sure I, you're I think that's not violating any OSHA rules here.
0: I was kind of sweating it because I didn't really have one. So you just bailed. You just bailed this out. That's a, that's a perfect one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I think that because our next question is usually. What would the predecessor show or captain do to resolve the conflict of this episode? Who, I think for now that, we're going to return. Who would that? Well, be? it would be the predecessor show is Discovery. Mm-hmm. The predecessor captain is, uh, Kirk. Is Kirk? Yeah. So <laughs> well, that's that's how you would play it, but
1: why would it be kirk wouldn't it be like janeway
0: I previous it was, to like so in previous chronologically star trek well chronologically within the show janeway came after picard oh so you know the original series no but like and, but yeah but like we're past now we're yeah. In Picard. Yeah. yeah so then it would be voyager okay so janeway who gets mentioned in this episode. But my point is this, I think it's a little bit harder in the serialized storytelling format to pick out what the conflict is, because it really is. We're getting pieces of a larger story. Now the episodes can have conflict within them, but that's not kind of the spirit of the grade, which is like the conflict as a whole of the story. So my pitch to you is because Picard mentions that he might just go and write his memoirs, which part of this episode is Picard embellishing or rewriting entirely for his memoir? So my example would be maybe he's not saying that the Shaw scene went down as it did where Shaw kind of humiliates them.
1: Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, he just like, you oh yeah, he, he, he respected us the whole time and it was great. He said he loved my wine. <laughs> He didn't make any derogatory notes, uh, comments about it at all.
0: But that's a pitch. You, you can reject it, and we can stick with the predecessor and figure out what Janeway would do.
1: I think Janeway would um, probably come up with a slightly more solid plan before executing it, maybe. That's true. Or assemble I a little she, bit larger yeah. team first.
0: And also, Janeway is sort of a more active person in starfleet mm-hmm. i gotta i mean i'm not she's like a high ranking admiral in starfleet so she would have a lot more flexibility to do whatever she wanted mm-hmm. you know and i guess in this case it would be a message not from dr crusher but from chakotay or Tuvok. Yeah. i'm trying to think of who she would care enough about <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Wow, well. seven of nine like those yeah. are the only ones i can think um i did have something for the embellishing the memoir though okay i think he would not do laris so dirty and i think he would maybe uh, pump it up and make it more of a love affair yeah maybe <laughs> because there was a time in jean-luc picard's life where he was a swashbuckling type and uh was lucky with the ladies and maybe laris would reawakened this? some of that <laughs> in his academy days the, the dude who the dude who uh, got stabbed through the heart by a was definitely a, a swashbuckler type. Also, lucky he had the, the hunts for his best friend's wife. Oh uh, well, I mean, barely. I, I think he was. I think he was out. I think he was out. Picardin around. I think. I think you're giving a little too much credit for him. Well, in any case, I think if he has for the time. His- yeah he, uh, he's gonna say laris was no i, I totally agree really He he's weird. gonna say all that in his <laughs> memoir
1: i'm just saying i don't buy it i mean i citation needed
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, not I'm, sure that, I'm sure that fact checkers on memoirs are as are as solid as they are in the 25th century as they are now so. oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> So Trek, Marry or Kill, uh, The Next Generation, Episode 1 of Star Trek Picard Season 3. I really liked it. I'll give it a Trek. Yeah, Trek it for sure. If you've not seen Star Trek Picard Seasons 1 or 2, you're a big fan of The Next Generation. You got to just start watching it from Star Trek Picard Season 3, Episode 1. You're not going to need to know too much about Seasons 1 or 2. Yeah, Um, really. That doesn't, I mean, Rafi, I guess, is it for now. Right, but even then, you're like, it's not totally clear how she's connected. Yeah, it's a completely, right. it's a B
1: story. It's not. Yes.
0: Yeah. If you know who she is, then you're like, you're understanding what's going on. But it would be interesting if anyone who didn't know anything about her, how it hit. It might hit a little stronger. It might hit a little, it might be more potent because, yeah, we didn't have all the addiction stuff. Like, already to judge through. So, check it out. Don't forget to check out our website, trekmerrykillpod.com That has all of our grades. Um, this is coming out the week after Star Trek Picard season three has ended, but I am still opening the poll for Strange New Worlds episode, Lift Us, Where Suffering Cannot we- Reach. I am trying to get people to vote for it, to decide if it is a Mary or a kill. Uh, my guest co-host and I, we split on that. Do you think so were, we're being too stingy here. on the Marys? I'm sticking with the thirty forty thirty model. Okay. So in <laughs> no, yeah. I mean, what do you mean? Do you think this should be a Mary because we enjoyed it so much? Well, we've only married how like a few episodes, right? I we're on balance with you think, most with do you think the majority. We,
1: we gave <laughs> elementary deer data a Mary that this one should get a Mary too.
0: <laughs> well, elementary deer data is great. I don't yeah. know.
1: <laughs> I know, but it like it's uh, again, kind of uh surprising i think to some people i think I think you so were surprised as... that you were like yeah maybe <laughs>
0: that's pretty good yeah well right now as we're recording this so this is kind of unstuck in time whenever you're listening uh out there listener we have 15 treks eight marys and six kills oh then we're being too stingy on the kills <laughs> that's kind kill of it <laughs> well i mean we've kind of at least there's some curation at least in this initial we did the pilots you know what i mean like mm-hmm. so it was like a, we're not just going straight through yeah and grab bagging there is a my one of my initial concepts for the show was like there is going to be like 10 episodes where i just pick them out of a hat And that's mm-hmm. just we're just do any of those we we'll still might do that later on but
1: and also we're um, purposely avoiding some of the episodes that everyone agrees are the best Yes. For now,
0: and some are for sure the, and the absolute worst, sure. right? Terrible, yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. So okay. <laughs> now that's all. That's all cleared up. <laughs> uh, so we'll be back next week with uh, episode two. And until then, TMK. Bye.